Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. the host of the podcast, This Speech Life, and I receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com for this episode. Danica Pfeiffer receives compensation for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. Non-financial disclosure for Danica is she is a member of ASHA Special Interest Groups 1, Learning, Language, and Education, and 16, School-Based Issues. There are no relevant non-financial disclosures for me to report. All right. So I am so excited to introduce to all of you Dr. Danica Pfeiffer. She's a postdoctoral fellow at Kennedy Krieger Institute Center for Autism and Related Disorders and Johns Hopkins University. She has clinical experience working with children in the school and private settings. Her research evaluates early language and literacy interventions for young children with language disorders, as well as interprofessional education and practice in the field of speech-language pathology. She has been an invited speaker on the topic of interprofessional practice at the state, national, and international levels. She recently started the About, From, and With podcast to share her SLP journey in academia, as well as the journeys of other SLPs and their collaborators. And I have thoroughly enjoyed listening along to her podcast. I know the rest of you will as well. And I am just so excited to be learning again from Dr. Pfeiffer. If you haven't taken any of her courses yet, I highly recommend them. So Dr. Pfeiffer, as we get started, what are three things that we need to know about interprofessional practice? Great. Thank you, Caitlin, so much for having me. I'm happy to be here with you and and speak about this topic. I would say the first thing for SLPs to know about interprofessional practice is that interprofessional practice teams really require all professionals to take responsibility for supporting the whole child and all of the child's goals. So it's really coming together as a team. Instead of divvying up responsibility, it's taking on responsibility to meet all of the child's together. The second thing is that there is some pedagogy behind interprofessional practice. There's actually a lot of research that's gone into it and is still continuing to go into exploring interprofessional practice teams. And of that work, there are four core competencies of interprofessional practice that are established in the field, and those are teams and teamwork, roles and responsibilities, interprofessional communication, and values and ethics. And I'm sure we'll get into those a little bit more today. And then the third is that families are a really integral part of interprofessional practice teams. So when we're thinking about who we should collaborate with in the school system, we can't forget the family and they should be included in the process from the very beginning. And there should be constant and regular communication with the family throughout our interactions with our interprofessional teams. Awesome. Thank you so much. So as we dive into those three things, what are two resources that you have for us that will help us 
become better practitioners or better team members on an interprofessional level? Sure. The first that I would recommend is going onto ASHA's website and searching for their interprofessional education and interprofessional practice resources. They have recently updated these, and there are some really nice videos and some diagrams and worksheets even for those that are interested in forming interprofessional teams and those that are trying to maintain those teams. So they, pro- they provide some really nice resources for us there. So I highly recommend those. If you're looking to read a little bit more about how you can use co-teaching in the schools to develop these interprofessional practice teams, there is a great resource by Brendan Cook that's called Interactions, Collaboration Skills for School Professionals, and that is a great resource that talks about co-teaching, provides some nice examples, and is also a nice resource. Awesome. Thank you. I will definitely check that out. So Interactions, and then what was the author's name one more time? Friend and Cook are the two authors. Friend and Cook. Okay, great. That's what I needed to catch. I heard (laughs) Friend and Cook, and I thought, let me just double check that. (laughs) Yes. And is it Cook, C-O-O-K or C-O-O-K-E? C-O-O-K. Okay, great. And that one is Interactions. Awesome. I just want to make sure that I get all of the resources as I'm diving into interprofessional practice. So as we are looking at these resources and kind of understanding a little bit more about what it is, what are some ways that we can start to carry this out in our in our practices now? Sure. So if you have not been on an interprofessional team before, or if you're not sure if you have, because I think this term gets thrown around a lot, so you might not be sure if you're actually on an interprofessional team already, something that's really key here, like I said earlier, is having the parents involved and having constant communication between your team members. So here, if you're just getting started, really all you need is one other professional and the family member to get started. And really, it's great if you can choose someone that you already have a relationship formed with in the school, because at the heart of interprofessional practice is having a strong and a trusting relationship with another professional in the family, because you're going to be working very closely together. So start small. Start with just that one other professional. It can be someone that you already know. That's great if you already have that relationship, but it could be someone that you don't have a relationship with yet, but you have shared children that you work with, and It just might seem like a natural fit that you all are collaborating more closely. And so if you haven't formed that relationship yet, that's a great first step. It's just trying to get to know that other person on a personal level. Um, Just have conversation with them, get to know them. Because once you start working closely together and targeting the child's goals, it's so much easier if you have that relationship formed and you're comfortable working with each other. So you just start small, choose one other person, and remember to keep the family in constant communication as you go. I like that idea of starting small, but especially the point that you brought up of, you know, start on a personal level. Because I think so often it's hard to to find the time or to really know how to do that, you know, when you're on a big campus. But I think that that is where it starts. As I'm looking back on some of the interprofessional collaboration and some of the IEP teams that I've been on that have been the most successful, I think it's because we were friends and we just genuinely (laughs) enjoyed working with each other, you know? And so I think that that's a really great start, but also, you know, 
how do we set that up where it also doesn't feel so forced to? So what are maybe some ideas that you've had or some ways that you've just naturally created some of those relationships? Sure. So I can share when I was working as a preschool SLP in the school system, I had all preschoolers on my caseload and I sought out the OT that also had all the preschoolers on her caseload, and I just went and introduced myself at the very beginning of the year. I think the beginning of the year is a great time. People seem to be more open. Everyone's a little bit excited about the school year getting ready to start. So I approached her, and I just said, you know, I'm really interested in collaborating this school year and thinking about how I can do some co-treatment. Do you have any interest in doing that? And luckily, she did, and she was really open to it, and that is really key. You might not get that go-ahead on the first try, but there are people that are interested in collaborating and want to work with you. So for me, I approached her. She was open to it, and we identified some preschoolers that we thought, after getting to know them the first couple weeks of school, we identified some that we thought would really benefit from us working together. And so then we came up with a plan of when we would see those students together, and we identified the space. So for us, it worked best to go into her sensory gym so we could get the kids moving and up and moving all around. And I just really looked forward to those days that we had marked on the calendar that we were going to coach together. And we figured it took us some time to figure out that dynamic of doing therapy together. But it was so nice when we could go into our IEP meetings together and tell the parents that we had been actually co-treating together. And I was well aware of the OT goals that these children were working on. She was able to comment on the speech goals in these meetings. And so we really saw that dynamic unfold. And it took some work. It took some time for us to get comfortable with it. But we both were willing to take that time. And as the school year went on, we decided to do that with more and more students that were on our caseload. And for me, it was just, we always did it on a Friday. I still remember this, and it was years ago, because I just always looked forward to that day of the week so that we could work together. And I didn't have to plan everything by myself. I didn't have to take on all the responsibility for getting the child to meet their goals by myself. But I really had a partner. And so that's something I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that point, you know, that you brought up of it takes some time. And we had to figure out that dynamic, you know, especially when you're co-treating because both of you are working on different goals or come from different mindsets of what a therapy session looks like, especially going from like an OT gym, you know, to a lot of times what we're working on is a little bit more academic based, especially in the school setting. So that's a really great point that I am definitely tucking into to my brain or into my heart as, okay, this is going to take some time and some work. And even if it's not smooth the first couple of times, that's okay. It's still going to be beneficial for the student. And I know sitting in IEPs, you know, there have been those times where when I did have good working relationships and the teachers or the other service providers would say, oh yeah, I've heard them say that. And it's like, oh, you know, there's this proud little moment that we have for the child. And we also know, okay, they're generalizing outside of the classroom. This is great. Or I mean, outside of the speech room. 
So thank yes, you. That for- was something I found too, because once we had these co-treatment relationships and we had that experience together, we also planned that we wouldn't do co-treatment with the same children every time. So that way we did still have our own separate therapy sessions as well. And that that's when we got to see really, is this generalizing outside of the OT gym into my speech room or on the playground? Sometimes I would go out on the playground and work with them out there. So it's still possible to do those things, even if you build in some of this co-treatment. Awesome. Thank you for that. And it is helpful if a occupational therapist or a teacher sees a simple prompting technique that we use and how it works with us, you know, in the speech room, and then they can start to utilize that outside of the speech room too, and vice versa. You know, I know I remember an OT teaching me about W sitting. And so if I'm down on the mat and I see my kids W sitting, oh, we got to fix that, you know, and vice versa. If they see me, you know, holding up three fingers and trying to get longer utterances or just different techniques that we use to elicit more language and to see the OT do that too is really beneficial or the teacher as well. I agree. We would do similar things. Any kind of visuals that I was using to expand language, I would bring those into the OT room and then I would make her a copy so that she had a copy of those same visuals when we were training separately. So it's a really nice opportunity for that shared generalization in in these different contexts in the schools. Awesome. And I love that. You know, it started out as something as simple as you just simply going and introducing yourself to the occupational therapy or occupational therapist and then recognizing that you guys have personalities that jive together and then what what's something great that can come out of that and how we can do that even with our, our teachers. I know there was a third grade teacher that I worked with a couple years ago and we started to recognize that a lot of her students had phonological awareness issues and so I would come in first thing in the morning and we would do some wordplay. And it was only one or two mornings a week, but then she carried it on uh, the other mornings. You know, it was kind of part of their morning warm up or during their breakfast time that we would do it, which was the only time I had in my schedule. And I wasn't quite ready to give up that prep time every morning of the week. So I did commit, you know, two mornings a week. And then I think we tailored it back to even one morning a week where... I was modeling for her what that looked like, and then I'd give her some fun resources, and then she was doing it too, so. That's awesome. That's actually really in line. I'm Right now, I'm analyzing some focus group transcripts of a study that I did recently where we interviewed SLPs about language and literacy practices in preschool, and one of the things that they kept talking about was how they really want to do more modeling for teachers in the classroom of some of the practices that you were just speaking about. And they really saw that as a way for language and literacy practices in the schools and in the classroom environment to be improved if SLPs can spend more time just modeling some of these things, not not necessarily telling them what to do, but just kind of modeling. It just sounds like what you just described and how then those things can carry over. And we don't have to be in the classroom at all times, but we can help and kind of learn from one another when we when we're able to do things like that so that's really exciting to hear yeah thank you it was really fun and this teacher and I we did work really well together that you know it's a bummer that I'm no longer there anymore and working with her but we were trying to come up with some other ways that we could co-teach together and just some other things that I was learning about language and literacy and executive function and how we can kind of pull all of these things together and then COVID hit 
And then I'm no longer there anymore. And it was a challenge there for, well, it's a challenge for everyone everywhere, you know, to find the time. Yes, Uh, absolutely. And of course, you know, this was an ideal situation in that her and I got along really well. We noticed a need. It was very easy to make an adjustment in my schedule that didn't require too much time. And it was something that I enjoyed doing. So, and that's, that's really key. Yeah, that keeps you motivated and wanted to keep collaborating. And then who knows what that can lead to. You know, you might from there, once you have some success of that initial interaction, then you can decide, can we expand this a little bit? Is there someone else that we want to add to this team? Or is there another professional that I want to try this with? And I think sharing some of those successes along the way with others in the school can be a really nice way to get others thinking about it. And if you do decide you want to collaborate with other people in the school and start to build different relationships, then that's something that is a nice little piece that you can do. Just kind of share, you know, we've been collaborating together and co-treating and now the students have made these gains. Um, Being able to share that information with other teachers, other professionals, other administrators in your building can be a really nice way to to kind of show some of that hard work, that time that you're putting in, but also show the, the impact of it that it's having on the children in the school as well. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. As you're talking about that, of sharing those successes with other professionals, especially administrators, you know, I would love to see that research of the successful preschool collaboration and how that might mitigate some of those initial IEPs. And, you know, how that could really benefit kids who might get labeled, you know, in special education. And if they just had the extra support at a, at a younger level, how even though it's a little bit front loading of our time and our resources at the beginning, but it really could make a big impact for a whole school. So. Yes, absolutely. And I think that research is just starting. I think it is to come in the future, but we don't know yet. And a lot of the interprofessional research so far is in the medical setting. And now it's just kind of taking on in the education setting and more and more people are getting curious about it and how these teams can work and how they can maintain over time. So I hope that more work will be done and that we'll have some of those answers in the next few years. That would be awesome. So, Dr. Piper, do you have any tips or any ideas on ways that we can be better interprofessional collaborators with families? Great question. So, I think what's really key about interprofessional practice and what makes it a little bit different from some of the other models of collaboration is that the family is included from the very beginning and there is that constant and regular contact with families. So not only during those regularly scheduled times that we have, that annual IEP meeting, the eligibility meeting at the very beginning, but also check-ins with the parent and the family to make sure that their goals are being met 
to really find out what their priorities are for the child and make sure that instead of just generating goals that we think are the best, to actually include them in that process. Ask for their feedback. Ask what their priorities are for the child instead of just presenting them with an IEP with the goals all written out. So it's really important that we're including them in the process. They should know what's going on. Parents will have different levels of interest in that process as well, but it should be up to them and they should have the invitation to give their input and feedback along the way and they should know what's going on and how the child is working towards meeting those goals. Absolutely and I can see how that can really help with carryover at home. You know if we're communicating with families beyond just that annual IEP and possibly those progress reports making it home. Um, You know that I think that that's key for families to know that we exist and to also know that we care about them besides just the week of the IEP. Because I'm totally guilty of, oh no, I need to call Johnny's mom and find out, you know, how he's doing. And okay, these are the things I'm thinking. Is she okay with that? You know, and I usually do a pre phone call, but you know, it's that pre phone call is always. A, hey, do you remember me? <laughs> opposed, you know, and then it, it looks great to my administrator when they come into the IEP and like, oh, so glad we talked earlier this week. But <laughs> that's not really a true, true collaboration. So, you know, I'm thinking, what are some ways that we can check in? Is it through email, text message? What are some successful ways that you've seen? I think finding a system that works for you is really the best thing. So if you already communicate by email and that's easy for you, then great. If email is too much, too overwhelming, your inbox is always flooded and you want to stay away from email, maybe sending notes home is a good way for you. As a pre-K SLP, I had a notebook for each of my children and I would send notes home that way and write in their words that we were working on or whatever concepts we were working on. I think also when you, you don't have to just do it just when things are, you can do this when things are going well or when things are not going well. If a child that you're working with has met their goals and it's before that annual IEP and it's time to update the goals, that's a great time to reach out. You know, hey, I have great news. Your child has met their goals and here's some things that I'm thinking about working on next, but I wanted to see if that's relevant for you at home. Are these things that you are working on or you're thinking about with the child, are they important to you? And so, these natural things that kind of happen throughout the school year, I think we kind of get on autopilot, okay, goals met, we're going to update the goal, but those are great times to get the parents' feedback as well and really incorporate that into your therapy. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. I like that, of finding a system that works for us and not just always a phone call or always an email or trying to be at pick up and drop off. Yeah, it is nice when you can have that face-to-face time, but we're so busy, so that's not always possible. And yeah, just whatever works best in your day. If that is a quick phone call, leaving, you know, leaving a voicemail, hey, you know, can you call back? It's really whatever works best for you so that it doesn't feel so much like a chore, but that it, it can be a part of your routine. Awesome. Thank you. So do you have any tips or any ideas on those of us that work on fairly large campuses that aren't just, you know, to a few classrooms? You know, we do have this idea of start small, but then when we've got caseloads of like 65 that are from K all the way up to eighth grade, you know, do you have any suggestions of what collaboration can look like when we're spread 
really thin. So I think what we've talked about so far is with therapy, but this could also be during your school-wide meetings or trainings on professional development days. If you are, you want people to recognize who you are in the school, you might be feeling like nobody really understands what you do. Those are great opportunities for you to share that information. I, I realize it does put a little bit of work on you <laughs> to share that and put together, you know, something to share. But sharing the roles that you have in the school with other people can be really helpful because then they know what kinds of things to come to you with and it might look more like consulting with you asking you questions as they arise in the classroom but just sharing what you do in the school with the other professionals in a larger setting like a, a training or a school meeting can be a way to kind of just introduce yourself and let others know that you're open to collaborating with them and so something might grow just from that just from being able to introduce yourself on a larger level it might not be possible for you to have all of these interprofessional teams for all 65 students. In. And it might actually not be appropriate to do that. You might be working with a student who it really just needs your speech therapy support. And you want to update the teacher regularly about how they're doing and the family about how they're doing. But you don't need that constant communication and collaboration as closely. So I don't think you should feel that you have to have a team, you know, for every interprofessional professional team for every single child I don't think that's realistic either to do in a school setting so I think if you can't do therapy could treat with all of these different students and that's not going to work it's not realistic then just introducing yourself to others in the school letting them know about your role and how you can support them in various ways I think is another way that you can help them learn more about you and in that process you might learn more about what they do in the school too Absolutely. Thank you. You brought us so many good things in that last little snippet that I hope I capture all of them. <laughs> but that idea of, you know, at first when you said, oh, introduce yourself at the beginning, you know, during trainings and things. And I already like immediately was thinking about, oh no, all the referrals that are going to come across my desk. <laughs> but that's what we're there for is to help students. And also the other thing too, that I was thinking about is, well, what if they did have questions, but I also could give them the tools that they needed to be able to support students. Yes, I think it's key if you're able to compile some resources for them. You know, there might be questions that you start getting kind of the same questions from different teachers in the building. You could compile, here's a quick checklist of things. You know, if you think that there might need to be a referral, check this list first or come talk to me about your concerns before putting in that referral, that request, so that you can have that conversation and not be flooded with all those referrals. <laughs> right, right. Or even, you know, coming up with that idea of, okay, so we noticed that we're having all of these issues with third graders in this way. What it, maybe I pop in to the third grade planning meeting or something in that nature. Or also, like you said, you know, you find out what other teachers do at the school, or maybe you find out that a certain teacher has a certain passion and they can maybe help us create some really fun therapy plans if a teacher is super into dinosaurs and has like some fossils or something in the classroom, you know, in their storage <laughs> that we can bring in and do some really fun vocabulary things and, you know, build background knowledge or something. So it's not 
I think that that's something that I used to think when I was going into some of these spaces is, oh no, they're going to want so much from me. But I can also learn how to work with and maybe take some things from some of my other colleagues that I'm working with. Yes, absolutely. And that is really at the heart of interprofessional practice. It's learning about, from, and with other professionals. And so that's really what we are hoping to get out of this is not only just helping the child meet their goals, but learning about the other professionals in the school that we're working with, learning with them as we are working together and trying to develop stronger therapy and more effective therapy. So really that learning about from and with process getting carried out is really the ideal situation. That does sound like the way that you just worded that really does sound like the ideal situation of like a dream school to go work for. You know, <laughs> and where... you might not have that all the time. There might be snapshots of that, <laughs> but any little bits of that can be really effective for not only the child but also you. I found that if I really enjoyed my job a lot more on those days where I had that shared planning time, where I had that time where we could come together and brainstorm about the children that we were working with, what's working well, what's not working well, where we got to actually do therapy together and share that responsibility for developing these goals for helping the child meet the goals and making those tweaks together. So I think there's a lot of benefits for both sides, the kids and for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know the current place that I'm working now, we have a lot of interprofessional collaboration and it really does make it such a fun place to work. Um, to feel like you're friends with your colleagues is it's something that I've never experienced before. So that's been really fun. Another point that you made was you said you're not necessarily, it's not necessarily beneficial to do this major interprofessional team with every student. And I think that that's also a good thing to recognize too. If I'm just seeing a kid for a lateral S and nothing else, you know, the teacher, there's not really a whole lot the teacher can do once we get past that point of he knows now how to make his sound. The right. teacher can remind him or we can, you know, put something on his desk to help with that self-monitoring. But really, that's about as far as that interprofessional collaboration goes. And the same thing with the parent at home, too. Yes, yes. So we don't have to overcomplicate things here and add people that don't really need to be on the team. So yes, it's not the best fit for every single child on your caseload, but it can be a really nice fit when you are are working with children that might have multiple different impairments that have that are working with several different professionals in the school to kind of keep that communication flowing, make sure that you're all working towards common goals together instead of sometimes we find that we don't know it, but we're actually working against each other with some of the goals that we have for children on our caseload. So we want to avoid that for cases where there are several different professionals all working with the same child. Absolutely. Another question that I have in terms of what the logistics look like when it comes to interprofessional teams, and maybe this is again a personal question of like, do what works for you, but how do you block out time? Is it more of a natural organic thing that happens? Maybe it's a little bit of both, but how has it worked for you? 
when I was working in pre-K with the OT that I mentioned, we did block off time where we would come together and chat about our plan. Um, we had that shared planning time for us that was before school started when we both just came in early and that was the time that we planned for our day anyway. So it worked best for us that we just did that in the morning. It would be a very quick, probably a 10-minute conversation about the session that we were going to have that was coming up. And we would talk about the activity that we were going to do and the goals that we were going to target during that time. And one of the key things about interprofessional practice is that regular communication piece. And so you want to make sure that whatever you decide, whether that's you're going to collaborate once a month or once every other week, that there is that regular communication there. And so that can look different from person to person, but as long as you're staying updated about the child's progress and, and how the child's doing, if there's any tweaks that need to be made to the therapy plan, then there's really not a right or wrong answer. We had our our planning session in the morning before school, and then our Fridays were the day that we came together and did our treatment together. So that works best for us. It was just once a week, and we had a block, a therapy block of time that we blocked out for that. So it can really vary depending on what works best for your schedule. But again, as long as you have that regular communication, then you'll be good to go. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for giving us some of those ideas. And then something else that you've mentioned uh, a little bit here and there is this idea of maintaining these interprofessional collaboration teams. So what ideas do you have for us as far as maintenance goes? Yes. So once you have that relationship established and you've started working together, you have those shared goals and your objectives that you're working towards, having a shared planning time, as I just spoke about, is really important. And that can look different. Maybe some weeks that means meeting for 10 minutes, maybe some weeks that means touching base by email, really whatever works best for you. But if you can have that one-to-one time for planning, that really does help. But I do realize that's not always realistic in our busy days, then having that regular meeting time to talk about how things are going is really important. So kind of evaluating how are we doing as a team? Are there times where I I feel like I'm not even there and you just kind of take over? Are there times where we might need to revisit some goals and we just, we haven't been doing that as well as we should? You know, really evaluating how is this relationship going between the two of us? And I think that's something that can, is a little uncomfortable, like we're not really used to doing that. So that is something that might take some time to really feel comfortable to do that. And then making sure that you are advocating for what you need during this process as well. And that could be things that you might need from that other professional that you're working with. It might be things that you need from the administration in the building. Maybe there's something about the space or the time, your schedules that's not working and there's something that you need to make this more effective. Making sure that you advocate for that. And when you do advocate, that you advocate as a team. So when you approach them, it's not me saying I need this, but it's us saying that we need this to help us be more effective and to really help support the children that we're working with and improve these outcomes that we're working towards. So making sure to have that we language at all times, and that really helps to present you as a team and show them that you're really serious about working together. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that advocacy. Like you said, the advocacy part 
is sometimes hard for those of us that haven't necessarily done that before, but especially those interprofessional or the conversations that are a little bit uncomfortable at times. I was listening to another podcast, not speech related at all, earlier today, and they were talking about friendships and how when we have disagreements with each other and we choose to have the hard conversation, how that adds more time to the relationship. And so I think that's so applicable here, where if we're willing to talk to our colleagues about something that is uncomfortable, instead of just walking away from them or choosing to not work with them in such a close proximity, it really does benefit the relationship and ultimately the students that, you know, are going to be impacted by our work together. Yes, I like how you brought up friendships because a lot of this really, the underlying factors of friendships and of these interprofessional teams are the same. Just building that trusting relationship and having that mutual respect for each other, that underlies friendships just like it does with these teams. And you have to have that strong foundation for this to be able to continue over time. So I think that's a a really great point. All right. So you've talked a lot about your preschool experience. Have there been any other experiences, maybe through your research or other experiences that you've had where you've seen a lot of success? Sure. So something that has really emerged from the research on interprofessional practice so far is the need for interprofessional education, which is providing these opportunities for students or working professionals to learn more about interprofessional practice. And in my research so far, I've had a few opportunities when I was doing my dissertation research, I was really interested in what this interprofessional education really needed to look like. Was it enough to just talk about interprofessional practice or do you really need that time to practice it one-on-one with another professional to really grasp what it is and master these interprofessional competencies. So I had designed a study where in one preschool I sent some graduate SLP students to deliver some emergent writing lessons with small groups of preschoolers and they had all attended a training with me and it was a two-hour training on interprofessional education. And then I had another group of graduate SLP students that I also, they attended the same training, but then they got to go into a preschool with OT graduate students, and they delivered those same emergent writing lessons with preschoolers in small groups, but they did it together, and they worked together to deliver those same interventions. And they did that for five weeks, twice a week, working together or working independently with these preschoolers. And then at the end, I did an assessment with them. It was a survey questionnaire where I asked them to rate their competence in their confidence in collaborating on interprofessional teams and all of these different interprofessional competencies. And the only SLPs that said that they felt more confident now at the end of this experience were the ones that had collaborated with the OTs, the ones that did all those interventions by themselves, even though I had trained them, I taught them about interprofessional practice, they didn't feel that they were now more capable of actually going into a school and working on an interprofessional practice team. So they really wish they had been in the other group and they had been able to work with the OTs. And so that was kind of the start of my research and, and really shows that we do need that time to practice implementing it. And I think more and more programs 
schools are now thinking about how to strategically embed this interprofessional education in graduate programs and even some undergrad programs as well. And this is really still evolving, but some places are already doing this. They have kind of the one-day seminar where they bring groups together from all different professions and they work on case studies. So that's something that's emerged. And again, it's it can be effective in learning about interprofessional education, but not so much effective in feeling more confident about being able to actually do it yourself when you go into a school. And so now we're starting to see more and more experiences that are being designed that are really clinically focused, that pair students together and send them out to work with clients similarly to how I had done so that they get that practice before they're going out into a school by themselves. So, so far we know that those that do have those experience, that co-teaching experience in graduate school before they are independent, they are much more likely to actually co-treat by themselves once they become a certified SLP. So the literature is kind of guiding us that way, that it's it's really time to build in these experiences in graduate school. So I hope that in the next few years, we'll continue to see kind of more and more of these experiences getting embedded into training programs. Absolutely. That is really exciting. Um, And I totally wish that I had that experience. You know, I think when I was in grad school, we had the one day seminar. And I was lucky enough that our program was in a school of allied health. So we had, you know, everyone from dietitian to rad tech to PT to OT. And I just remember we traveled along in cohorts and listened to different professors talk about what the different things, you know, what the different careers did. And I think we did that in undergrad because I actually went to an undergrad program. And I do remember listening to the OT and think, why didn't I do this one? (laughs) (laughs) I know, isn't that one just more fun? Like, I remember having the same thought. (laughs) You know, and she, because she was talking about all of the different things that they did. And she, the day before, had gone into a prison and was teaching recreational activities. And then how she was sharing that one of her other colleagues was working on sensory diets for kids. And I didn't even know what that word meant. And now we know how impactful, you know, these things are for for our students or our clients. But it was nothing about learning how to work with one another. It was simply just learning, you know, what everyone did and what their role might be if we decided to go into the medical setting or the school setting. And how, like you said, it's so much more beneficial to learn how to work together. And actually do it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can't expect even so other kind of work that I've been so far is thinking about programs like you went through where you're trained on how to work with other professionals in healthcare setting. But what we've learned is that we can't assume that those skills transfer into the school setting. So even though you've learned all these great skills of how to collaborate in a healthcare setting, it doesn't mean that you can now go into a school and go collaborate with a teacher. It doesn't transfer <laughs> the same way. There's different expectations in the schools than there are in these medical settings. So we really need both. We need training. You know, we're trained to work in both settings, and we also need to know how to collaborate in both settings. And so. Now it's really thinking carefully about how we can design these experiences and embed them into the curriculum that already exists because we know our graduate programs are so full already of all the things we have to learn. But now it's thinking carefully about how 
can we build in some guest lectures? How can we, I, I'm going to be starting as a professor in the fall and I'm thinking about designing my courses and how can I co-teach in my courses so that my students are, are watching me co-teach before they go out and have the opportunity to co-teach in their environment. So I think now it's just time to get creative about how we can build in these experiences so that our students feel more comfortable going out and actually approaching other professionals in their work environment and going to them with questions or ideas so that they feel more comfortable and they also just enjoy their jobs more. It can be really isolating sometimes, you know, being the only SLP in your school. So what are some things that we can do to really improve our networks within the school and make us feel more included in the things that go on in the school? I think is also important. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through speechtherapypd.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate level credits. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, with my graduate students that I supervise in the school setting, I'm now going to start having them think about which students they want to collaborate with and, you know, start to put some of that on them or my CFs that I might be supervising, you know, checking in with them. What support do you need to, because I'm sure it's going to take a couple of years for us to see this shift. So, you know, recognizing that the students that I might be working with aren't going to have the same support. That's very true. It is now in the graduate requirements for SLPs that there has to be interprofessional education embedded into their training program. But what we're seeing is that each program is approaching that in a very different way. So it could be one explicit IPE course that's built into their curriculum. It could be an experience like you had. It could be a one-day seminar. It could be something like I had where I sent my students out to work in pairs clinically. So it really can vary. And so I think you're absolutely right that each student will come to you with these different experiences. And I think it's perfect what you just said of just encouraging that conversation about collaboration, especially um, these students that are still in grad school and just early in their practice. From my own research, I've seen that CFs and those that are just starting out are the least likely to collaborate with other professionals. And I really think it's because they don't have that training and they're going into schools and they're still trying to just learn their own job, (laughs) let alone learn someone else's and and figure out how they complement each other and fit together. So I think having those conversations and really taking the time to do that with your students is going to be really beneficial for them and what they'll continue to do in their practice in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This has actually been such an inspiring hour for me because I'm already thinking of, okay, I want to try this. You know, we're at the end of this school year and I'm already starting to, this is usually about the time May when I start to reflect on, okay, what went well? What did not go so hot? What am I not doing next year whatsoever? (laughs) And I'm really excited for next school year of, okay, here are some ways that I can start to build relationships with teachers from the get-go that, you know, might be low cost, you know, giving everybody little candies or something at the beginning of the year with just a note of who I am and making sure that I'm visible, you know, that first week of school to start to build those relationships. But then also, you know, starting to think about, okay, how are we going to teach this next generation of SLPs how to enjoy collaborating and not be so scared of it? 
Yeah, I think talking about it and modeling it for them, you know, especially though you could do it with your grad students or your CF, you know, I have this great co-treatment session coming up on this day, why don't you come and observe and just getting an idea of how, I think it can be hard to even just wrap your, your brain around what would this even look like, you know, how would I talk with that person or how would we know who's going to talk now and then who talks after and how are we going to come together so I think being able to see it for them would also be really helpful and then making sure to have some reflection afterwards after they've seen what you've done you know you might have noticed that when we did x y and z this is why we did it because we had in our planning session we had agreed that this is how we were going to split it up and just really being as explicit as possible that's something that is really helpful for students and these new professionals going into the field so that they can start to think about how they might do it in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always know that I learn way more when I have grad students because it really causes me to know what I'm teaching. You know, yes. they say like you learn 95% of what it is that you're teaching and only there's that breakdown of how much you learn. So I'm so grateful for next year and what's going to happen. And, you know, I don't know what your experience was like, but my clinical instructors and even my CF supervisor, you know, there was this, this old school way of thinking of don't go into the lunchroom. You're going to be bombarded with referrals. Don't, you know, you need to have a good work-life balance. Do not volunteer to help (laughs) out with the Halloween parade or do not volunteer to help out with the Christmas program, you know, and, and don't, but as I'm thinking back on this year and previous years of being involved and being a part of that school community really did help my belonging, which also, you know, greatly impacted my enjoyment at work. Right. And your job satisfaction is important. <laughs> and the schools want to keep you and you, you know, you don't want to be switching schools every year. You want to make sure that you are somewhere that you feel appreciated. And so I think that is really, really important too. And once we establish kind of these systems and put them into place and, and that will look different from person to person, school to school, but once people know who you are, what you do, and what you don't do, I think that can also help control some of those referrals too. Sometimes I think there's just confusion. Oh, you don't do that, or you do do that. You know, just having some of those conversations can be really helpful, and hopefully that will help to control the referrals. Maybe not immediately, but down the road. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and especially with our younger ones, if we're able to model some of that support early on in our preschool classes or our kinder classes, then they might not need our support later on. If anyone has any questions or if they want to share where they've had successful interprofessional practice, please feel free to pop that into the chat. This is our Q&A time, so please feel free to take advantage of that with Dr. Piper. I have loved talking about interprofessional practice and I no longer feel scared of it or intimidated by it or, oh my gosh, this is one more thing we have to do. I was lucky enough that I got to moderate her course a few months ago and I remember thinking at the beginning, oh my goodness, just one more thing to add to our list of IEPs and assessments and, you know, all of the things. And I, at the end of it, really feeling excited about it, just like I'm feeling today. I'm glad. 
and I hope you realize, you know, I know you mentioned that you're already doing this, and I hope that others realize, too, that they're probably already doing it, and it doesn't have to be a, this complicated, scary acronym, another thing that we have to learn, but we, a lot of times we are already doing many of these things, and it's just having, making it more regular, making sure that we're including the family, and that we have clear communication with one another. Awesome. Christina shares, I share a room with the OT and I love hearing my students say things I normally wouldn't, but I haven't yet co-treated with her, but I want to set it up now. That is awesome. Uh, that is awesome. I hope you do. It will be great. That's great. You already have a shared space that can be sometimes just a big logistical barrier to figure out. So that's great that you already have that shared space and just, yeah, start one with one, choose one and go from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I shared a space with an OT the 2020-2021 school year, but we were not allowed to bring students into it. was a very interesting, everyone had a very interesting year. So we weren't allowed to bring students in necessarily together. We had to like really schedule out our time. And I was only doing assessments that year. And she got to do her entire practice, um, assessments and therapy. And it was always fascinating to have her take on kids, you know, from her sensory perspective, I learned so much from her and she would even do things as simple as like turning off one of the lights where I was having a student having difficulty with focusing and she just walked over and flipped off one of the lights and then the student focused and she said I was noticing that light was making a buzzing noise and I think it was impacting the student I didn't even hear it so I know isn't it just like fascinating all these insights like things you would never realize but they are so in tune to it's just amazing It is. And vice versa. You know, there were certain things that I would bring up to her and she's like, oh, I never thought of that. So it is really powerful for great minds to come together to help our students grow. Cynthia shares, I first started sharing therapy time with another SLP and that led to doing more interprofessionally with OT and RSP. That's awesome. That's great that you had the opportunity. I know we don't always have another SLP that we can work with, but that's great when you have those opportunities. Yeah, I think a lot of the skills that I sometimes I get questions about this, about intra-professional collaboration, working with other SLPs, and is that the same skills or do you need different skills to do that? But it's the same, you know, that it's really that strong foundation of having a, a working relationship with the other person and that transfers well to working with other professionals. So it's really those skills will help you with both kinds of collaboration. Awesome. Kate shares, love the info about collaboration with OTs. I'm in a medical setting and sensory diets have such dramatic impact on both apraxia and picky eaters. So needed in the school setting. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we are, um, feel free to keep sending in your experiences and your success stories, as well as your questions. You know, maybe you have a sticky situation that the ever so wise Dr. Pfeiffer might be able to shed some light on. You know, I guess I'll ask a question. Dr. Pfeiffer, have you ever had an experience where you didn't see eye to eye with somebody that you were collaborating with professionally? Mm, That's a great question. Yes, I have. So in that same setting I was working in, one of the pre-case that I was working in was in a child care, and I 
this was right when I got my, I was during my clinical fellowship, so I was still really fresh, and I was not very confident in my skills of communicating with other professionals. It's, you know, I think it takes some time, and when I'd go into the classroom for my therapy time to work with this one child, I kept finding that the teacher would take the child for their own one-on-one time when I was in the classroom. And so we did not have clear communication about when I would be there, what the expectation was for when I was there. I think she thought that I was just kind of there to support the child and not necessarily that I had my own goals for what I wanted to accomplish in that time. So we did. We had to have some communication back and forth several times about my schedule, about the expectation for when I was going to be in the classroom. And that was awkward at first, and it was hard. It was uncomfortable, but it did really lead us to better collaboration. And we we started to be able to collaborate because then that opened up the communication channel for us. I could share what those goals were and how I was working on them. And then she also saw me working on them in the classroom classroom and outside on the playground and we went outside and so I think that really opened up a great collaboration for us but it was uncomfortable at first because I think too when you go into a classroom you know you really can feel like that's the teacher space I don't want to be encroaching on what they're doing here so I think it does really take some work at first when you're first starting out there, but it is possible, and I think in our case, it really improved our collaboration for not only that child in the classroom, but then the other children in the classroom as well that were on the caseload. Awesome, and thank you for that example of it started out kind of sticky, but then it ended up being really great, which goes back to that idea of if you're willing to have some hard conversations, it usually benefits for, it extends that time together that you're going to be working together. Yes, and I didn't mention this earlier, but that really is another effective, when you're thinking about maintaining a team, something that you can do proactively when you start a team is coming up, and ASHA has a great resource for this on their website, but coming up with a conflict plan, which can look different from person to person and and group to group, but really just kind of thinking through what we are, what our expectations are for our team and if we do come into times of conflict, then how will we deal with those? And it's a little uncomfortable, but it's more uncomfortable to do it when the conflict is happening than doing it proactively before you start collaborating together. So if you can just even think through it, talk it out, you don't necessarily have to write it down, but if you can put some of that planning into place when you're starting to collaborate with someone, I think that can really help in the long run. Awesome. Thank you. I love that idea of a conflict plan ahead of the time because that really, you know, like you said, it might be kind of awful, like awkward, but it does, it's way less awkward than when there's a sticky situation. Cynthia shares, I too had difficulty with a classroom teacher in special education, and I later saw that I should had a meeting with her to find out some of her vulnerabilities with having someone in the classroom. And I think that's so true is sometimes our conflicts have nothing to do with us. Or, you know, it could even not have anything to do with anything professional, you know? And I... Yeah, this, I know this teacher, she just wasn't feeling comfortable. She didn't feel prepared. She didn't feel like she had the training to work with this child. And her way of working 
But that child was just working one-on-one in this set time that she had, and she had prepared and put all her time and planning into that one time, and it just conflicted with the time that I was in the classroom. So, yeah, just opening up that communication channel, you know, okay, how can I better support you because this is not working (laughs) right now, and just being willing to have those conversations even when it's a little bit awkward. Yeah, thank you for that. RB asks, would you have examples of conflict plans? I would send you to ASHA's website if you just type in ASHA Interprofessional Practice. They have some great resources there, and I think there's even a handout of conflict plan and kind of some questions to think through. So I think that would be a great place to look for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we have just a few more minutes left. Dr. Pfeiffer, can I ask you to just recap one more time that three, the two, and the one? Sure. So three things to know about interprofessional practice are that interprofessional practice really requires professionals to take responsibility for supporting the whole child and all of the child's goals. And there has been a lot of research that's gone into interprofessional practice, and we're still really learning a lot about it. But we do know that there are four core competencies that the Interprofessional Education Collaborative has established, and those are teams and teamwork, roles and responsibilities, interprofessional communication, and values and ethics. And um, the last thing is really to remember that families are an integral part of the interprofessional team, and we should be thinking really carefully about how to include them from the start and continue to have that constant communication with them all the way through the IEP process. And then two resources to learn more about interprofessional education and practice are ASHA's Interprofessional Education and Practice resources on their website, and also a book that you can consult and look and read over is called Interactions, Collaboration Skills for School Professionals, and that is by Friend and Cook. And then one actionable strategy that you can use is to start collaborating with just one person, someone that you already have a relationship with in the school and that you may already be friends with is great. Or if not, if you don't have those relationships already, then just start by identifying one other person who's open to collaboration that you might want to work with and already have some shared children that you both work with in the school. Awesome. Thank you so much. We have just one more comment. I apologize if I butcher your name. Shamim shares, I have been in SLP for almost 29 years. I'm in private practice. Interprofessional collaboration is not just something important in the school, but a key for effective progress in private and all other practice settings. And absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. All right. Well, do you have any other last tidbits or things that you want to leave us with, Dr. Piper? I just encourage you all to give it a try and give yourself some grace as you're getting started out. And like I said earlier, I bet many of you are already doing some of these things. And now it's just thinking a little bit more carefully about how to have that regular communication and and work with families and parents more closely. But give it a go. And I think once you have some success, share it with others and really celebrate what you've been able to accomplish. Absolutely. Thank you. Success begets more and more success. And it is inspiring, you know, to hear about all the success that you had with your OT. And it really got me reflecting on some of the success I've had over the last couple of years. And now I want to carry that on and then start to bring that into how I supervise my students and, you know, impart some of that on the graduate students. So 
Thank you so much for that. And to all of you, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you will catch us back here next week, Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern time. Have a great week and see you all soon. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.